0: How do you actually gauge whether or not a company does have an optimized EX?
1: We did a very small, US-only based project. We took publicly available information, what we found was Tiffany Bova. She recently wrote the book, Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. She is also a growth expert at Salesforce and has been giving keynote speeches to businesses. The most customer-centric company on the planet. Do you know who it is? There is this fine line between proving ROI when it comes to the soft skills of humans that actually has the greatest impact on that connection during that moment that matters when an employee touches a customer. That moment happens, that's... I want to
0: know what good EX looks like at different levels.
1: Yeah, it is a great question because I think this is where...
0: What was the turnaround story from Best Buy? Walk me through what they did. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. Today, I just wanted to remind you that one of my favorite events of the year is coming up. I'm talking about HubSpot's annual inbound conference in Boston. I think you'll love it if you've never gone before. Mark your calendars, September 5th through the 8th, 2023 catch talks from some of the most incredible speakers they have reese witherspoon Derek jeter andrew huberman and there's so much more they have multiple stages they have tons of industry experts and tracks from sales strategy to ai to innovation you always walk away with practical tips that you can put into action right away plus you're always going to connect with other leaders i'm going to be there a lot of people in the hubspot podcast network are going to be there it's one of the most exciting events featuring leaders from some of the most innovative companies in the world. This year is going to be unforgettable. Tickets are selling out fast. Head over to inbound.com to get yours today. Today, my guest is Tiffany Bova, a global customer growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce and a Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Growth IQ. Over the past two decades, she has led large revenue producing divisions at businesses ranging from startups, fortune 500 as a research fellow at gartner her cutting-edge insights helped microsoft cisco salesforce hp ibm oracle sap at&t dell amazon and other prominent companies expand their market share and grow their revenue she's worked with thousands she's been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by thinkers 50 twice she is also the host of the podcast what's next
1: All right. Uh, Well, I I would say that it was probably, I might've been 22 years old-ish. I was in that range. Uh, And at the time I was working for a family friend uh, in Hawaii, which is where I'm from. Uh, I was actually on the island of Maui and we were opening up um, an indoor video arcade. So there was a point in time where videos were not on your smartphones. They were actually like at an arcade where people had to go um, to the arcade. Uh, And we were opening up this store, it was probably 16 or 17,000 square feet. I mean, it was a massive sort of store. It had a restaurant, games, you know, gave away teddy bears. It had sort of very much this indoor carnival feel. And so the top of the roof of it was um, replicated kind of a big top tent in a a carnival, if you've ever seen one, right? Lots of light bulbs and um, really that feeling like, wow, I've walked into something super special. So we duplicated that, you know, indoors to sort of give that same feel. So the woman who was the owner of the business um, who really mentored me um, uh, very early in my sort of development into business, uh, walks in, you know, and it's sort of a couple hours before the opening, and she's kind of going down the line and saying hello to everybody. And she gets to me, I'm last um, in in this line of employees. And she literally looks at me and says nothing and points up. So in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm number one or, (laughs) you know, look up, like, you know what, I didn't know what sort of what the communication was really about. And so she kind of, you know, this is in a split second, right? So she walks away and my eyes sort of gaze up and in this thousands of light bulbs in this big top tent, we had replicated indoors. One light bulb was out, just one.
0: And that's what she was pointing to.
1: So, you know, we got this place ready, right? Thousands of light bulbs, all the games, the teddy bears, it was clean. Like everything was humming along, but one light bulb was out. And so that one lesson, like I've told this story probably a hundred times, right? was all about creating these experiences and how the little things matter. And so, you know, when I advise companies and, you know, I always sort of reflect in my mind, what is that one thing I could point out to them that they may be just completely Mm. overlooking because it's kind of so basic like that one light bulb, right? But it has uh, implications to what what customers think about what you think about your own organization, right? If you're not willing um, to care about those things, then your employees aren't willing to care about those things. And in turn, your customers feel that, you know, you don't care enough to do them.
0: I love that. I love that story, and I think it's actually so impactful because I think that every company, at a much larger scale than this this one particular smaller setup, does have those light bulbs that are out. That's that's always the case. And I was actually watching, you know, to prep for this, I was watching some of your your past talks, and I think you were doing one on on the growth uh, IQ, which was your first book, and you were saying like all the parameters for growth, and you showed a chart. Are these things? And like, it was like the most basic stuff, yes. like, like candidly, it was like the most basic things that a company obviously knows to focus on, but they don't, or there's, there's misalignment or they have, or they've missed something or there's like stuff that's fallen through the cracks. So I'm super curious as to, you know, your first, your first book was, your first book wasn't it completely focused just on EX and, and CX. I think it was more on the customer experience. If I'm not mistaken. And then the second book that you're actually putting out is more on the employee experience. And I think there's a, a, a conversation between the two. But how how what do customers actually what do companies miss? What do companies miss? And 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 through your experience, your life cycle, because even as you wrote your first book, you were looking at what companies miss in a certain perspective, but that's evolved, obviously, which is why this is the second focus on the second book.
1: Yeah, it's a great question because uh, this is a little bit of a mea right? I mean, a mea culpa. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, those 10 paths to growth, to your point, Scott, were nothing earth-shattering and new. That nine first paths were like, you know, sell more to your existing customers, launch a new product, yeah. go into new markets. I mean, none of that stuff. It was really a spin on the Ansoff matrix, which is the four, sort of two-by-two two, um, that really helped companies from a strategic standpoint. But what I did was I took those tried and true strategies for growth and I modernized them using social mobile cloud, big data, AI, you know, all the tools that we now have at our disposal were not, you know, not even a glimmer, you know, in the sixties when the Ansoft matrix was developed. Yet the strategy of selling more to your existing customers of products you already have is everybody still does it. And then sell new products to the customers you have, everybody still does it, right? But rethinking that was what was so important and kind of getting back to the basics and understanding the connection between the decisions that you make when it comes to growth so that was kind of the foundation of growth iq Mm -hmm. but the very first growth path was customers i called customer experience kind of your true north everything should be revolving around what your customers want what they need from you and still a true statement but what i missed in that in any depth in the entire book was that the keepers of your brand promises best products best customer service you know best offices you know best field service technicians whatever it might be those brand promises are delivered by your employees so if mm-hmm. your employees are not happy engaged committed enabled trained all the things that i sort of talk about in, in the new book experience mindset you know it, it will be amiss because the greatest strategies are delivered by people and when things, you know, the push comes to shove, your Excel spreadsheet or your, you know, Salesforce report, whatever it might be, does not come run to your aid. <laughs> like, it's the people yeah. of the organization <laughs> that do, right? So um, if, the, if there is a disconnect between what employees need in order to develop those great products, deliver those great experiences, you know, go that extra mile for the customer, um, then it's all for naught so um it was really a miss for me to not include that as one of the quote unquote growth paths but um you know lo and behold two years later i Mm -hmm. I went down a path of doing a lot of new research and it led me to the fact that this connection is so tight that there's it's just almost not possible to deliver great cx um, without having great ex you
0: know you worked with some of the biggest companies in the world i'm gonna name names <laughs> and like they're the names that every like so microsoft cisco salesforce hewlett-packard ibm oracle at&t dell and amazon those are the top of the top you can't you can't really find maybe you can if you look hard enough but that's pretty much on the list of every large organization yeah. of of where you should go to to look for who's doing business properly and, and whatnot now if you ask all the leaders at those companies they're going to say that they focus on their employees <laughs> They're all they're all going to say, of course, yes, employees are, you know, the, the most important part of our business. It seems like such a but are they really are the biggest companies in the world actually focusing on their employees at the level at which you think is required to actually deliver the most impeccable CX? Because I would even say that you look at the companies that were disrupted and like the classic example is like Blockbuster. I'm sure Blockbuster thought they took care of their employees. But there was a miss, there was a miss there. And then there was a missile to, uh, you know, a lack of a lack of understanding of how the market was shifting and a lack of understanding of how their model is being disrupted. And maybe that's because there wasn't enough uh, voicing of this problem internally with the employees in terms of product or or how they saw the company moving. I don't know. But how do you actually gauge whether or not a company does have an optimized EX? Because they're all gonna, they're all going to say it till they're not. They're all going to say it till they're disrupted, right?
1: a number of years back. And and I said um, that I didn't think it was a coincidence that Salesforce was one of the best places to work around the globe. You know, if we're not number one, we're sort of in the top five-ish, right? Pretty pretty much globally. We're one of the most innovative companies in the world. And we're the fastest growing enterprise software company in the cloud, specifically, uh, for sure those are not sort of accolades that salesforce stood up one day and said these are the things we are this is really sort of what the market has you know given us from awards and things like that so i didn't think it was a coincidence so then i said you know look i'm not the first one to say it herb kelleher you know the um former uh, ceo and founder of southwest airlines was like, like we take care of our employees they take care of our customers if we do that right it takes care of our shareholders and it comes back and we can take care of our employees right and it is sort of this flywheel effect Richard Branson has said it, right? Take care of our customers. They take care of our employees. We do that. We can grow. Nothing new there, uh, going back to almost what we were just talking about with Growth IQ, but I hadn't seen proof. I hadn't seen proof sort of from growth rates um, on those companies that do those two things really well, how much faster they grow than the rest of the market. So we did Mm -hmm. a very sort of small US-only based project, um, Salesforce and and Forbes Insight. And we took publicly available information of like net promoter scores and Glassdoor ratings and customer satisfaction scores and churn rates and then revenue and revenue growth, right? We took, it had to be publicly traded for obvious reasons because we just wanted to go Mm -hmm. out and and try to prove this out. And sure enough, what we found was that companies that did um, employee experience well, saw a lift in KPIs on customer experience. Okay. When we looked at customer experience, we saw a lift in KPIs for employee experience, right? So if you have happier customers, right? They're not yelling at your employees. Your employees don't feel like eight hours a day, they just get yelled at on their customer service line, right? Or something like that. But when both of those things happened, um, one of them was sort of a 1.3 times growth rate, one was a 1.4 times growth rate. When you got those two things right, it was a 1.8 times growth rate. So for a billion-dollar brand, it was a $40 million impact. So we knew we were on to something. Now, if you do E-Strong, you still get a good growth rate. If you do C-Strong, you still get a good growth rate. So I'm not saying you can't get growth if you're not doing both well. But what I'm saying is you can get a faster multiplier, if you will, a, a greater multiplier of growth, rather, if you do both right. So back to the original front start of that question you had. Um, yes, executives intuitively understand this. And I would say that most through the second body of research we did said, if it's so obvious, why isn't everybody else doing it? Yeah. Right? Like it's really obvious, Tiffany, like this isn't anything new. I'm like, I know. However, like tell me who yeah. owns employee experience. So many executives will say, of course, employees are super important to us. I care about my people, I care about my employees. And through the research, it showed that that's what they would say. But in the same breath, they would come back and say, however, we ask our employees to default to the customer above all else. So this default of, I am interested in the success of my employees, But we're always going to say that our customers are our true north we're a customer centric company it's customer first sort of whatever rule you know sort of mantra you want to have internally um and you know i'll give you sort of one example you know the most customer centric company on the planet that was their mantra who was it do you know who it is i don't know It's amazon amazon okay so that was their statement we want to be the most sort of customer centric company on the planet and did they grow? Absolutely. Like, did they you know, yeah. knock out industries? <laughs> Absolutely. Did they create entire new categories? Absolutely. Fair, right? But then what happened? The pandemic hit and who wasn't happy anymore? Employees. And the second that happened, it was really right when uh, Jeff Bezos was stepping down as CEO, it sort of was mm-hmm. added that we want to be the greatest employer on the planet. So now you have this balance, right, of if we're going to do this, we have to do that. And when employees, um, that sort of unhappiness, if you will, with employees really showed itself during COVID, right? Great resignation, quiet quitting, unionization.
0: Even even Amazon in particular, a lot of negative stories about how they treated their employees. And now
1: they want to unionize, right? And they're not alone. So you have Starbucks really well known and held up as a very strong customer company right i mean no complaints really yeah. from customers but then what happened employees started to get unhappy then what happens right then they want to unionize and so i can say that it's not a bad thing to be customer centric obviously i've been touting that one statement of being customer centric for you know almost 18 years so so i would say that that is a good thing however it sort of starts and stops with you have to make sure that the employees um are equally engaged and having a good experience.
0: And and you actually touched on a point there and you didn't go into it. So I'm actually I'd like you to go into it. Okay. When you ask the question, who owns the employee experience in an organization? So I want I want to break it down for somebody who's a smaller company as well, a CEO that's just mm-hmm. struggling to, you know, get to uh, make it a little bit more than a million because that at that yeah. point it's just like a a glorified job. But say they're trying to get to 10 million dollars. And they have a small team, a little bit outsourced, a little bit internal. They have some full time, you know, W2 hires all the way through to, and maybe just walk through the different levels of what, you know, EX looks like, all the way through to Fortune 500, Fortune 100, who owns the customer experience throughout that journey as the company evolves. And, and then, I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I will ask you a two part question, even though I shouldn't, but I will. I want to know what good uh, EX looks like at different levels.
1: Yeah, it is a great question, right? Because I think this is where I tried to work pretty hard um, in writing the book to make sure that I wasn't advocating for a new C suite role. So many years mm, ago, okay. I was part of the team prior to joining Salesforce, I was a research fellow at Gartner. Um, And I was part of the team that made the prediction that the chief marketing officer would spend more on IT than the chief information officer. And when we said that, it was sort of 2008-ish, everyone thought we were crazy, but lo and behold, Salesforce, Microsoft, Oracle, SAP all went out and bought companies that were in that marketing technology stack to get a hold of those budgets that the CIO may no longer be in control of. And if the marketing chief, chief marketing officer was going to become the buyer, how do they create sort of that, you know, narrative to attract that new buyer to that technology that they now have? Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was really also about trying to get the CMO at the seat of the executive table not sort of reporting under the COO or, you know, maybe under someone else in the organization, but really getting them a seat on the table because we believed that experience was gonna become that new battleground between brands, especially when it is highly commoditized, transactional, like what makes it different? It's gonna either have to be a better experience um, or a better designed and developed product. And so the product development may be too expensive and out of reach for some, so if I can make sure my people are better trained and my customers have a better experience, I could win there. Okay, mm-hmm. so in this scenario, um, in this case rather for the experience mindset, I did not want to advocate that I need a chief employee experience officer.
0: correct? Because
1: yeah. especially for small companies, a CEO is playing eight roles. <laughs> like he's the CEO, CMO, CRO, CHRO. Like you know, he's kind of everybody yeah. or he or she is everybody. So what I want to have happen, regardless of size organization, is when a company makes a decision to reduce the effort for a customer in order to increase the experience for that customer. So, you know, in 2000, we were arguing about making sure that you could, it's three clicks to get to the cart to buy online. In 2000, we were arguing for three clicks to buy. (laughs) It's been 23 years and still I show up at sites and it's like six clicks, right?
0: Just take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now HubSpot and the HubSpot Podcast Network have incredible podcasts you have to listen to like Entrepreneurs on Fire hosted by John Lee Dumas. He's been in the podcast game for forever. He gives you insightful interviews. Now imagine this, you're getting firsthand experience from successful entrepreneurs like Kevin Lannister who knows a thing or two about navigating the chaos in rapidly changing industries. He runs the fastest-growing IT company in the world. Or Tyler Wagner, who believes in the power of your story to scale your business online. Or how about learning from Tom Antian's old but gold insights on transforming hobbies into streams of passive income. If you are an entrepreneur, you need to listen to Entrepreneurs On Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast to get out. So, yeah, no, so I,
1: I, Okay. Gotcha. okay. Okay. So just let's pick that up. Right. So back then in 2000 when we were reducing the amount of clicks for the customer to buy in the background, the effort for the employee actually went up because it back then it wasn't automated. Like we didn't have the power of these one click shopping carts and Um, you know, payment with things like PayPal or Venmo or Apple Pay or whatever it might be, you know, ultimately we didn't have those things. So we had to kind of manually get things done. So what do we do? Decreased effort for customer, increased experience. Unintended consequence, increased effort Mm -hmm. for employee, decreased experience for employee. And over the last 20 20 years or so, that has gotten even further out of balance where we've so over pivoted to customer, we've kind of left employee behind. So if you are a small business entrepreneur, medium business, large business, and you are making any decisions that impact customer, I just want you to pause for a second and say, okay, hold on. I think this is the right thing to to do for the customer. What is the implications to the employee? And I don't care what size you are, right? Or I don't care what role you're in. If you're gonna change a process, if you're gonna add a new application in the environment, if you're gonna pick a new vendor and it's really good for the customer, how good is it for the employee? And that's why I called it experience mindset because I need you to shift your mindset away from exclusively focusing on customer and giving a little bit of pause to make sure you're not negatively impacting employee. Will it be 50-50? Probably not. But if I can mm-hmm. get you to just stop and say, hold on, what's the implication to the employee? We've changed this. Have we trained them? Did we change the processes? Have we given them five more things to do a day versus yeah. you know reducing things? If I can get you to do that, regardless of size, then it's been a success.
0: And that also, so when you add on a new process, you work with a new vendor, that could also mean hiring somebody to support. So that's not always so. So you can optimize for customer experience as long as you basically scale out or optimize internal processes so that your employee does not suffer that much considerably. You have to make sure that their day to day does not vary is basically what you're saying. That's the goal. If they're they're maxed out. Right. That's the goal. So they're maxed out capacity, you know. If, if I mean, of course, in some in some cases, it's going to be you can actually increase their workload slightly because maybe they do have a fair amount of free time and they're not really optimized as an individual, but that's OK. But if they are optimized as an individual, then you're either hiring someone else out to support them or you're upskilling them or there's something that you're doing within the organization that basically let this new process land softly on the people that are actually going to be responsible.
1: for. Absolutely right. And so if someone is at 100 percent capacity you can't just add more and expect them to do more, right? And so, no. you know, the long argument is, oh, AI is gonna replace, you know, employees and headcount is gonna reduce and all of those things. You said something there where if someone wasn't at capacity, you know, what do you do? Well, it, you do you reskill and retrain them so that they're doing more challenging work and offload some of the mundane repetitive tasks to technology? so that they can get that career development because that plays a huge part in their employee experience. It's not just about technology, it's not just about pay. It's not just about training and, and opportunity. It's not just about, you know, trust within the organization. It's not just about like I know what I'm doing every day and the C suite is telling me and I see them living it. And so I have, you know, something to model after. It's all of those things. And so, um, you know, you have to make sure that it's not just about automation. It's not just about technology. It's not just about, you know, making time uh, more efficient. Um, We don't want to just focus on productivity of the human, because then if Mm -hmm. you do that, then you really make the mistake of saying, well, productivity, if that's what it is, then automation is king. Then AI is king. The machine learning is king and bots Mm -hmm. and all the things that can quote unquote, even chat GPT, right? Replace humans in some capacity. Um, I I think that there is opportunity um, to really bring the employee base along this journey as we start to embrace more and more different kinds of technology.
0: And there must be other pieces to employee experience as well. So it's also about, I'm assuming, growing them and not just upskilling them for that immediate project that they're working on, but also you talk about career growth, you help them upskill as an individual and that's and that could be in terms of like, like ongoing education or subsidizing things that allow them as a human to get to the next level of where they wanna be. And so there's like a whole back end component that's not just about making sure that their day to day is not more difficult. That's great. You're already you're being a good person by not doing that. But then there's all these other things that an individual, you, me, we crave in our life and I do believe personally that businesses should be responsible for offering some avenue to get to where you want to go as an individual, as a professional.
1: Yeah, and that's why who owns employee experience can't be one person. So let's sort of deconstruct what you just said. So we talked about systems and tools and processes. Um, The average enterprise uses, and once again, I'm I'm at the enterprise level. So if you're a mid or small business, this number will be significantly lower. Although I would argue that the percentages are probably pretty close to being the same but the average enterprise has some 900 unique applications in the enterprise. Everything, finance, HR, sales, marketing, product dev, like all up, all the applications, only 27 to 29% of them are integrated. Now there are some that will never be integrated, right? Finance may never be integrated so people can see what's going on in the books. HR might not be integrated for obvious reasons, but so take some of those off the plate, you know, this, this discussion, but that still means there's a tremendous amount that is not integrated. And if you're a small business, that even may be a higher percentage, right? Because you don't have the internal IT staff to do that integration. So if you have seven applications that your employees have to work in and with every single day, it's highly inefficient. Right, versus having that integration sort of thread through. So process and technology, you could argue, is the IT responsibility. So you know, as you become bigger, it becomes a CIO, but it could be an IT manager, it could be a value-added reseller or systems integrator, like helping you, right? But that person is the technology arm of it. Then you have learning, onboarding, um, all the things we were talking about, career path, development, that tends to be HR, right? So that's sort of an HR, Um, element to this and then the third is who is responsible for the customer so if you don't have a chief customer officer or a customer experience officer or a chief marketing officer like who is the person either customer service or marketing that is responsible for what's happening to and with the customer now you have this triangulation of these three roles tech HR marketing or sales right whoever's got that uh, position you could even add a fourth and say sales and then it's all four of them Mm -hmm. those four leaders They have to agree on what you're doing across both of those elements, the customer and the employee. Now, the smaller you get, the CEO is the four. (laughs) So that's why I said, you know, just pausing and just making those decisions with just one more question. Okay, what is the implication to the employee? And as you get bigger and larger, you'll have more individuals handling pieces and parts of that. That's where collaboration and communication, cross-functional alignment is super important.
0: Now, for what are you going to say to a company that has not focused on EX for their entire their entire life, yep. and you already know that alignment across all those different orgs within a, within a company is difficult, all those different business units. So, so how do we how do we get somebody to to understand the importance of this? We have the we have the numbers there, but what are like very tangible takeaways that they can immediately do, even at an enterprise level? where they can start to see some progress and then, again, get the internal flywheel going as to getting people to buy into this? Because it will take a lot for those four to support this initiative they want.
1: Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is that I would challenge companies who have done anything in relation to customer journey mapping, experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, NPS scores, um, customer advisory boards, anything like that to understand I wanna know what's happening in my customer organization, right? I wanna make sure we're aligning our narrative and our products and our roadmap and all those things to our customer. I challenge you to do the exact same thing for your employees. An employee advisory board, employee net promoter score, it's called EMPS, right? Customer effort score, do you have an employee effort score? So almost matching KPIs with, if you have customer KPIs, what are your matching employee KPIs? That's a simple, fast way to say, you, maybe you don't do all of them, right, obviously, because if you're small, it gets more difficult. But what's your top one and one, or two and two, or three mm-hmm. and three? And then you say, if we just start there, it will be better. But what I started saying around customer was, I don't know, when when clients would ask me in, in, when I was at Gartner, you know, what should I be doing? What do you think? And I'd always, I used to answer. Let me back up. I used to just answer. And sort of the first three years. And then I realized I was probably doing a huge disservice that I should actually ask back. I don't know. What do your customers want from you? And then tell me about your last customer survey. And then we start digging into that. And then those surveys are giving me the signals I need to help advise the customer on how to improve that go-to-market, right? Either with or through partners, directly online, offline, all those things. So I challenge the same thing on employee. I don't know what you should do. First, Yeah. ask your employees. Now, one of the things we found in the survey was, everybody's pretty much surveying their employees pre-pandemic was kind of once a year. Now it's much more frequently, but what we heard pretty consistently is even though they're collecting that data, nobody is doing anything with it. So you've asked your employees what they want to be more successful, happy, engaged, satisfied, et cetera. And they're telling you, and then you kind of go, well, we checked the box, we did our employee survey, let's move back to customers, right? To do that hard work um, that's required on the employee side. And if you look at the Gallup, employee satisfaction scores over the last decade, they've not moved but two or three points and they're in the 28 to 32% range of employees are satisfied. And it's remained wow. almost flat. But if you look at net promoter scores, everybody's NPS is going up, customer satisfaction is going up, right? All these things, because that's <laughs> where all the focus is. So I'd say start with KPIs, align what you have in customer with employee, Two, do the survey, do a small survey to your employees, especially if you're small, and start fixing one thing at a time. I'll give you an example of an entrepreneur um, who I used uh, as a story in the book. Um, Michelle Romanoff, she was the CEO, co founder um, of a company in, in Canada. She was a shark tank, a dragon. Yeah, clear
0: yeah. yeah Clearbank. Yeah, Clearbank. Yeah.
1: Okay. So <laughs> yeah. Michelle Romanoff um, and I did something together when I was up in Canada a number of years back, and we were having this conversation. She said, you know, I had, I think she had like 60 or 80 employees at the time. Um, and you know, she's a double unicorn. So, you know, there are people who are single unicorn status. She's a double unicorn and she's not even 40. Right. So she knows, um, she's uh, very good at what she does. So she opened an email box and forgive my language, but it was sort of stupid shit we do at, and the company name. And she (laughs) just asked her employees, um, Hey, what's the stupid shit we do. And so employees would say something like, you know. I have to do these three things before I can do this. If we just eliminated these two, it would be much quicker. And they just knocked those off really quickly, right? Because it was stupid things that the company got a little too process oriented. Processes were in conflict. New companies were acquired. New people got hired. Things got changed and no one was going back to make sure that the house was still clean. And so Mm -hmm. um, that one question opened up maybe 30 or 35 things that very quickly got fixed. And now what did that do? That showed that we asked, we heard you, we fixed things and the things they did not fix, they gave a reason why not. Now you can't do that if you have a thousand employees or 5,000 employees, but you could by group, by team, by division. So it's more manageable. So it doesn't have to be something complicated and let's plan it. And we're going to do it, you know, Q3. It's like,
0: People overthink this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that people overthink this a lot. They, yeah. way overcomplicate and, and they
1: just overcomplicate it. And I think, you know, we could go for hours into how we've overcomplicated it for customers. But, you know, we've really overcomplicated sure. it for employees.
0: Um, now, do you run into issues with artificially inflated positive KPIs for employee satisfaction because of the fact that they're scared for their jobs or they're scared that their manager is going to chastise them or... Or, or, or do something if they don't respond in a positive way? Yes. How do you solve for that? Yes.
1: So um, I used this example in Growth IQ and I, I sort of pulled it into uh, experience mindset as well. But um, if you've ever watched the television show Undercover Boss, that to me yeah. is a master class in what we're talking about here, that I don't know why they spend the first five to seven minutes of the show talking about the executive and then putting, you know, makeup to disguise the executive. So when they go amongst their people, they won't get recognized. I'm like, I think it's a waste of very expensive television, you know, prime time, first five minutes, because no one would recognize them anyway because they never leave their office. So so if you are a leader, the way to make sure KPIs aren't being artificially inflated, good or bad, right? Um, Is to actually talk to your people. Town halls, management by wandering around, you know, very Tom Peters in search of excellence. You know, there are many ways in which you can stay connected, right? Email someone, say, hey, I'd like to hear your opinion on what we just did, or how easy is it to do your job? Like, you become very available, transparent, you're empathetic and then you're listening better, you ask better questions, and lo and behold, you start to get the pulse of things that is not in a survey that is backward looking, right? Because the survey may Mm -hmm. take three months and now you're backward looking. And so the way to stay forward looking is to stay on the front line of what's happening in your business. So a la Undercover Boss, right? You've never worked in your kitchen, You've never worked in your warehouse, like you've never delivered your own products, like you've never seen someone get hired or what they're training. Like the fact you don't know those things is exactly why we're in this situation where employees are saying, I'm done. Like, you know, either you're going to do this for me or I'm going to go find somebody who will. Um, And they're making very different decisions because of the lack of, right, investment, empathy, and consideration many executives have had for the people who, remember, deliver on their brand promise. They're the ones that do the work every day, right? Um, They're the ones that bring business in the door. Um, Executives, unfortunately, most of the time manage in their four walls. And that just gives them such a disconnected view on what's happening for customers as well what's happening for employees.
0: I just want to take a second thank the sponsor of today's episode, NordPass. Now, if you are tired of forgetting your passwords or if you're worried about their security, this is where NordPass steps in. You've heard of all these password managers that have been hacked have been compromised everybody's trying to get out your information it's very stressful and also just remembering all the passwords even if you're not worried about somebody getting into your information even though you should be just imagine remembering like 30 40 50 different passwords it's stressful as hell and you know you can't use the same password for everything even though you try and honestly you shouldn't but nordpass you benefit so it's a password manager It has advanced encryption with zero-knowledge architecture. This guarantees your data's privacy. This actually means that your passwords are yours and yours alone, and NordPass can't even read your data. But they don't just stop there. They offer a password generator for creating strong, unique passwords, a health checker to evaluate your password's strength, real-time breach monitoring, and the convenience of password imports and Autofill. Plus, it's compatible with Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, Android, you name it. They have an extension. They have some way to work with all the leading browsers so you can manage your passwords wherever you are on whichever device you prefer. So this is what you got to do. Go visit nordlocker.com slash creators, promo code success. You're going to discover how NordPass will massively simplify your digital life and give you peace of mind. That is nordlocker.com. Dot com slash creators and then the code you're going to put in is success with nordpass you're choosing a password manager that's reliable secure and made to work for you who does this who does this very well who who is the who is the you know the the example in the industry of of a leader that maybe we even know the name of Somebody who, you know, if you if you saw them in the news, they would be like, wow, I can't believe he or she is walking around the office floor and making an effort. Like, who's that leader that we should look to? Yeah, Costco has
1: always been that, you know, the previous CEO would walk around the floor. He was in a Costco um, location somewhere in the country six days a week, you know, into his 70s, you know, all the way up into retirement. Um, Everybody knew who he was. There was no way that, you know, he would walk on the floor and people didn't know. Um, You know, you could say Herb Kelleher right from Southwest, you know, Southwest has just had a really tough 120 days. um, And unfortunately, on the employee side, um, and the customer side kind of both simultaneously it was sort of a perfect storm. But you could look at Chewy um, doing great things for employees and then great things for customers, right employees like draw little pictures of clients' pets um, when it's their birthday yeah. or when they pass away. Um, that's the employees. You could say Zappos um, continues to be amazing on both E and C. You'll have Zenith in, uh, or Zurich, I'm sorry, in in Europe doing amazing things for customers as well as employees. Um, you know, there there are a lot. But, but what I'd say here is, unfortunately, like everything, it's like they might be really humming on E, but then C is, Paying the price, they might be really humming on C and E is paying a paying the price, and that's why this kind of balanced view and operating mindset is super important. Where you try to keep those two things as close as possible. As I said, they'll never be 50 You know, in a perfect world, right? So you could say, wow, you know, a particular brand is really doing a lot of stuff around employee, right? And so. Um, and then you and they've always done stuff that's really great for customers. And so all of a sudden you start to see both kind of really begin to improve. And so um, that's always the tricky question um, because uh, one bad thing, like, I, you know, look, I wrote, wrote the book, I did a whole case study on Southwest. You know, I put the last period in the book and then boom, <laughs> right? Holiday, yep. weather, you know, technology meltdown, you know,
0: but, but to, that's a good point, though. It's not like a one and done. No, correct. It's, 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 correct. Per, it's in perpetuity. Correct. You have to. It's correct. like an ongoing. Correct. It's an ongoing mindset. And so
1: that, that's why I said, like, it doesn't matter what size you are. You know, if you're listening to this, the next time you run a team meeting, you know, ask the yeah. question, how difficult is it to do your job every day? Systems. So people, process, technology. And then from an executive level, the culture. What does the culture reward? to your question, right? Is it just KPIs and people are sort of faking that and nothing's really happening? Our KPI, we surveyed our employees, check. you know, Who owns employee experience? As I said, it is not one person, but are you even at the executive level having conversations besides what does our pipeline of new talent look like and who are we losing? Like that's an important metric because it's a number and you can really manage that if you will, but it doesn't tell you all the things around it of why are people applying? Why have the applications declined, right? Like we just don't have a good pipeline, like people aren't applying. Well, why not? Well, because all the people who left trashed us on Glassdoor because we didn't do all these things, right? Or, you know, why is this happening in the customer? Oh, well, you know, have you sat in the call center and listened to, you know, call center calls over the last, you know, if you're an executive, a leader, sit in the call center at least once a month for a day go on sales calls once a month, at least for a day, sit in your marketing department at least once for a day, your product dev, like that should take up eight or nine days a month. What is more important than that, right? To really understand, uh, going back to Michelle Romanat at Clearco, right? Um, yeah. But she's a great example, you know, not to sideline this on that story, but she stepped down as CEO because they were in hyper growth mode and they needed a different kind of leader to take them to the next level. So even highly successful, Right, being really yeah. self-aware of where I can add value and where I need to bring someone in who can add value, both for the customer and the employee. Sometimes it takes executives and leaders to step aside and and bring the next, you know, sort of generational leader aboard.
0: What was the what was the the turnaround story from Best Buy? Walk me through what they did.
1: So you know, listen, uh, Hubert Jolais, uh is a friend of mine. He was the former CEO of. Um, of Best Buy, uh, and he came in and really, well, what he did was almost what I just said. He spent a full week in a Best Buy store. I think it was in Minneapolis, um, and he was like chief listener. That was sort of his name badge. I love that. And he just <laughs> listened to employees yeah. and listened to customers and watched the floor and watched what was happening and saw a lot of inefficiencies, saw a lot of opportunity, um, and really dug, stopped doing some things that were happening in previous regime, right? And 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 started focusing on the people and really saying, mm. how do we make sure if we're going to make this turn as an organization, we've got to reskill, we've got to reapply what we're doing. We're not going to quote unquote win against Amazon. So how do we? create an environment where if someone comes into us we can price match and do those kinds of things so that we keep the business and we don't act like it's not happening like because the employee is like look i just worked so hard with this customer for two hours they were about to buy they got on their phone yeah they're gonna go home and and order it um and so you know i think that a a true focus um, uh, on the people uh, made a huge difference Um, on the performance of Best Buy. And you could argue Unilever is probably another one, um, another story that that I used where it was sort of training at the management layer and they saw that it was so effective that sort of second and third tier managers wanted to learn how to be a better manager, and they opened it up to everybody and they just saw retention rates increase, satisfaction increase. People were applying for stretch roles and they were getting the opportunity because they had this foundation of training. So, you know, it's important. Um, and, and often I'll hear from small businesses, we can't afford to make those investments. So what if we invest in people and they leave, right? I I
0: was going to say that's way more expensive. It's exponentially more expensive versus if they leave, if they leave versus if you invest in them and they stay, but I, I, okay, go ahead. But what
1: if they invest in them to train them and then they take that training and they leave? Right, and that's a lot of fear, if you will, at the CFO level, e- even the executive level. Right, that we've made all these investments from a um, career perspective on learning new technology or new systems, or you know, we paid for their MBA. I mean, there's lots of ways that you can invest in your people. Um, the the response that I say is, well, what if you don't invest in them and they stay? Correct. Right, because if you yeah. don't invest in them and they stay, then they don't have what they need to be successful then they're not having a great experience. Their customers are not having a great experience. So there is this fine line between proving ROI when it comes to the soft skills of humans that actually Mm -hmm. have the greatest impact um, on that connection during that moment that matters when an employee touches a customer. That's what I'm talking about is when that moment happens That's the experience mindset. It's not all things HR and it's not all things customer. It is really when those two things come um, together, either virtually, in-person, via technology, a hybrid, I I don't care, right? Just human um, and customer or branding customer. I've
0: actually found, you know, to, to that point, I actually, I've always found that when I invest in people, they they don't leave and that's there's no data to back that i've just found anecdotally when you invest in somebody and you care about them and you and you help them progress to the next level in their career they'll 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 be a good employee for a period of time maybe if they do leave that's it is what it is but i can guarantee you like while they're there the roi i've never measured it but it seems to be exponential in that person versus if you hire somebody and you don't invest in them at all i feel like they feel like they're a commodity they're there just for a particular purpose and then they'll just go to the next paycheck because if you're not investing in them why would they feel emotionally attached to that business it's just you know money that comes every two weeks and that's it but when you invest in somebody i mean i've had people that as as a you know i've I've been in several leadership roles where i've hired people and people have followed me through my career so yes i've invested in them as a leader and then fine they take the next job but in five years from now i have an incredible person that comes back to work for the next org that i'm in too so there's all these benefits of just investing in people and I've never found it to be a detriment. I've never, I've never put somebody through a course or spent extra time with somebody and been like, oh, that was such a waste, I wish I didn't do that. Yeah, Zero, zero out of 10 times that Yeah,
1: and, and I'd say you know, for small business, they may be, I, can't, I can barely afford to do all the things that are being asked of me as an entrep- entrepreneur. Yeah. So does it need to be something that costs money? Could it be you mentor an hour every week with you know, a handful of people and that changes every quarter. That you spend time with them right you help them and mentor them and coach them not about how to do their job not about how to use the technology but more you know what it's like to run an effective meeting how to write a better executive email like what have you learned when you faced you know challenges with collaborating or communicating with others in your organization how do i overcome that you know those kinds of things can be helped with mentoring and Um, That's where to your point, you know, you make those investments Um, if some, especially for small businesses, times get tough. Let's just say the pandemic and you have to close the doors and no one's working, but you say, Hey, listen, just hang on for four weeks. I can't pay you. People will be like, that's okay. Like I know when we come out of the end of this four weeks or we come on the other side of this, I've taken a pay cut for six months. that when I come on the other side of this, I trust that they have my back because that, sort of employee experience is so strong and is a competitive Mm -hmm. weapon for you um, in keeping and retaining top talent, attracting top talent. And then those two things happen. Then you get great customers. um, You're able to grow the business. And then that's where to the point, right, that sort of flywheel of benefit between um, that greater employee experience leading to a greater customer experience drives growth.
0: I love this. I would even say that, you know, you probably have data to back this up, but post covid with everybody comfortable working remotely this is probably even more important than ever because if you don't invest in these people it's not even like they have to get a job in in the same commuting distance from their house it's very easy to switch companies if they feel the company does not support them and does not treat them well yeah let's just pick so let, let's simple. just
1: pick when the pandemic happened it's a stat i use in the book and i'm going to do this off the top of my head so forgive me if i'm off on percentages but <laughs> okay right. um was sort of when the pandemic hit and and many went to work from home that the number one sort of software application that was just the hottest thing to acquire at that time was employee tracking software, keystrokes, video, what are you doing? You're not in my four walls. And what did that say? Well, you trusted me to be an employee when you can see me, but you don't trust me when you can't see me. And, you know, some call centers were actually requiring um, customer service representatives to keep their camera on eight hours a day while they were there. So the manager could see they were sitting at their desk with their headset on talking. Um, They were watching keystrokes to make sure what they were doing. It was like a 3000% increase in the sale of employee tracking software or just tracking software, like forget just employee. Um, And that sends a very terrible message, right? Like, you know, I I mean, I've worked home for uh, going on almost 19 years now, you know, so this was nothing new for me, Um, but not many people are in that situation where they've, you know, worked for a Fortune 500 company and worked from home this whole time. Um, And so I I would say that um, that says everything about, and trust was one of the things we found was a key indicator to employees giving that sort of, giving their all and being satisfied in work is that they trusted and they were trusted, um, that that has huge, that sends a huge signal in the wrong direction. So to your point, right, that so much changed during COVID of the employee-employer relationship and employees for the very first time, according to the Edelman Trust Barometer, took over customers for the first time in 10 years as the number one stakeholder to long-term success. And for the 10 years prior, it was customer. And so that's no coincidence, right? Employee, all of a sudden, everyone was talking about an earnings call. Everyone was talking about the great resignation. Everyone was talking about, I can't open my doors cause I can't find talent. I used to be open 12 hours a day. I'm open eight hours a day. Sorry that the flights are delayed. We don't have baggage people. Sorry that the rooms aren't cleaned and we can't do that cause we don't have anybody to clean the rooms in our hotel and on and on and on and on. Where did all those people go? Where did they go? Like they had to go somewhere they just clearly didn't come back to you <laughs> so, yeah, so you know so, so <laughs> what does that tell not? you yeah
0: yeah <laughs> okay um before we wrap this up just anything that you'd want like one last lesson we covered a lot of different things and and honestly i even had some points that i pulled out from like the first book that we didn't even go into but i feel like that could be like another hour so i'm not going to start down that path okay. i'm just going to have you back in the okay. future
1: <laughs> that works that works so
0: um because that could be a whole other podcast so uh, for, for this particular topic, some, some last thoughts that we didn't go into any questions that I didn't ask that I should have just lessons that you want to teach over to the audience. Then I'll, I'll get all the socials and whatnot, but, um, yeah, go ahead. I
1: I can't think of anything. I mean, really, we covered off on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We covered off on a lot (laughs) and I wanted to read the book too, you know? So yeah, I I covered off on a lot. I mean, I think, you know, I tried to make sure I said small, medium enterprise. It wasn't just, you know, big companies with lots of people. Um, I tried to give, you know, Advice across the size and spectrum of of organizations. No,
0: you're good, you're good. Okay, so if people want to reach out to you, what are the socials, and also where do they get the book outside of like the Amazons and and all the other normal spots? Where should they go?
1: Uh, so you know, if you want to keep in touch with me, uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm actually out of connections, so there's no more connections to be had. Unfortunately, <laughs> I maxed out. I don't know how that happens, but anyway, they're like. No more. Um, So you can follow me uh, on LinkedIn uh, at Tiffany Bova. You can follow me on Twitter at Tiffany underscore Bova. Instagram and Facebook are at Tiffany Bova. Um, you can get growth IQ pretty much anywhere. There's an audible version. You'd have to listen to me for a little more than, you know, five hours. You did it yourself. I did it myself. It was, <laughs> good. A, it was a whole experience good, good. and I'm about to do the new one, uh, in a couple weeks. Um, and then it's on Kindle. It's translated in 10 languages. Um, but she's about four and a half years old now. So, uh, now, uh, you know, I think the U S might be the only version, um, that we can get our hands on, uh, cause that one keeps republishing uh, reprinting rather. Um, and then Experience mindset. Uh, you can buy at your favorite bookstores. Uh, it's all uh, on sale today. Pre-order, and it comes Perfect. out on June sixth.
0: Awesome. Okay. Last question I ask everybody before we wrap this up. Um, at a, you know, you've had an incredible career. Worked with some of the largest organizations in the world. Um, you've released several books. Now, after all of this, what does success mean to you?
1: I would tell you that success means something very different to me than it meant 15 years ago, or let's call it 20. I've been in tech now t- almost almost 20. 20- almost 30 years. I shudder to say. I guess it is almost 30 years because I was 27 um, and uh, I just turned 57. So it's been almost 30 years. Um, And and I'd say that uh, success for me used to be, you know, what's the title? How much money am I making? What am I doing? Um, And then it kind of was like, okay, what kind of impact can I have in a more broader scale, right? Let me write a book. Let me advise companies, um, those that you sort of rattled off and, and thousands of others. And then when it was time for me to make a career switch after Gartner, um, I, I came to Salesforce for a couple reasons. But the number one reason was, um, you know, whenever I went to a Salesforce event as an analyst, I would leave those events wanting to be a better human being, and hmm. that said a lot to me. If I take a third of my time now and in some way give back, do I lecture at you know Columbia University or? you know, uh, Texas A&M, USC, Wharton, you know, do I lecture? Do I do things um, for, you know, women in tech at the UN? Um, do I speak at the World Economic Forum to not-for-profits on how they can do things? Like, yes, all of those things. So I try to spend, you know, a third of my time um, doing that. How can I have greater impact in areas that Um, maybe don't have visibility and opportunity as much as others. And and that's really what um, I now measure my success on, um, which is different um, than what I measured my success on a decade ago.